You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Looking at specifically verse 10 today, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you don't have one at home or you forgot it, please slip your hand up. We'd love for uh, our ushers to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. If this is uh, uh, new to you, then take it home with you by all means, and uh, it's our gift to you today. We'd love for you to uh, understand God through His Word. First Peter uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 10. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but this is the crux of where we're going to be for a good portion of the morning. First Peter 4, verse 10. Before we get into it, though, there's, I think there's a, a couple common questions that I want to raise that uh, I hear often as a pastor, and I've heard often over the last you know, 20-some-odd years of ministry, and maybe they resonate with you here this morning, whether you're there now or you have been there, but uh, think about this. Here's the first question that I've had more often than not in ministry. Uh, here it is. Is this all there is to life? Ever thought that or wrestle with that? Is this all there is? I mean, for the believer who, you know, I'm, I've accepted Jesus, I've repented of my sin, I've by faith I turned my life over to Jesus, and I, and I come to church, and I, and I try to look after my family while I'm getting a good paycheck, and, and everything seems nice and cozy, but is this all there is? Ever been there? What about this one? It's sort of along the same lines, but it's a little different. What about this one? Is my life really making a difference? Well, does my life really matter, Pastor? Again, I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to love Jesus and I'm trying to raise up my kids in the gospel and I come to church, I'm trying to avoid all the big sins. But deep down, I'm wondering, does my life even matter? Like once I'm gone, will anyone even care? Ever thought that before? I think at the core of both of these questions is the reality of this, that God has designed us as human beings in a way that that we want our lives to count. We want to leave a mark. We want to make a difference. And I guess no one in this room, if I were to say, hey, anyone want to waste your life? I doubt anyone would be like, oh, me, me, me. That's why you're here, right? Everyone wants to make a difference. We want to make a difference for God and even for each other in this life. And so where do we start with that? How does it all shake down? I believe this whole sermon series all year is helping you hopefully understand what it is to to experience all that you're supposed to experience in life and also by the end of this life make a difference with your life. It starts where? With loving God, right? With with seeing God for who he is and, and, and because of his great love for you expressed through Jesus on the cross, I want to give him my life back. And of course, it's not just loving God, it's also loving others, right? The one and others are a good place for us to start. I think some people lack that meaning and that, that uh, feeling of making an impact because they've missed one of the most crucial things in the Christian life, loving each other through the one another's. If our lives' impact is determined by the engine of the train, loving God, and the next car is obviously loving others. The third car right behind it will be serving others. Here's where today's message goes. It's stepping up my serve game because God calls us to serve one 
another. These one another are so crucial for us as a church and for your life. Let me start reading here uh, 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 7, just to help you get the context of what this serve one another comes in. Remember, I've told you before, you don't just take a phrase out of the Bible and pull it out and make it say whatever you want it to say. You look at all the words around it so you understand it. Here's 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another. There's a one another from a couple weeks ago. Earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Covered that a couple weeks ago. Show hospitality to one another, another one another, without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right in the middle of this is this call to serve one another. But where does it start? It starts with this in verse 7. Look at the, the top of chapter 4. The little subheading is stewards of God's grace. God's given us grace now to steward in light of his return. The end of all things is at hand. This means that, that we are to live our lives with the mentality that Jesus could come back at any second and we need to be ready. I know some of you are like, well, Jesus is coming back. They've been saying that for 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. Is he really going to come back? He's coming back. If you look at the signs of the times in the, in the Bible and then you look at the news events, you're almost like, wow, this is real. Becoming clearer now than it ever has been. He's coming back soon for all of us. But here's a reality you have to think about. You might meet Jesus before I meet Jesus because of God's plan for your life, we need to be ready. This is what it's called, to be ready. Well, how do you know if you're ready? How do you know if you're ready today to meet Jesus? First and foremost, we know. You need to know him as your personal savior. Repented of your sin, put your faith in him. If you haven't done that, you're not ready. But beyond that, here's some clues in the text. The end of all things is coming. Hey, Jesus could come back any moment. Don't get lulled to sleep here. Don't, don't, don't think this is a message for somebody else. We need to have urgency for this. How do you know if you're ready? Well, you're self-controlled and sober-minded. You're, you're actually pursuing righteousness is really what this is saying and trying to think thoughts like God. Thoughts have his perspective. This is for the sake of your prayers. You're not trying to live life from God's perspective in holiness. Your prayers aren't going to be answered. So that's the first clue. Pursue righteousness. Verse eight, above all, even above that, love, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over multitude of sins. Start, start loving each other. It's not, it's not just... Those who are ready aren't just the ones that are in their holy stupor, you know, in their house all locked in. Like, oh, it's just me and God. It's just me and God. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be so spiritual. I'm going to be ready. Actually, if you're in that place, it's a good place to be is seeking the Lord with all your heart. But that place, that holy stupor doesn't happen in the Christian life. It actually propels you outside of your house and outside of looking after yourself to care for others and love one another and welcoming other people, it says, without grumbling. Why does it say without grumbling? Because I think we grumble a lot. Oh, I've got to be hospitable. This stinks. That's not it. <laughs> it's I want to be ready for Christ's return, so I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love people around me, and I'm going to welcome people as Christ welcomed me into my life and into my home and into our church. Romans 15, 7. How did Christ welcome us? How are we supposed to welcome us? How Christ welcomed us? How did he welcome us? 
open arms, hearts of, of acceptance and unconditional. That's how we're supposed to be living in other people's lives. And then it says here, it comes to verse uh, 10, and it's also through serving one another with the gifts that God's given us to serve with all of our might. It's loving others, it's welcoming others, it's serving others. That's how you know if you're ready for Christ's return. Oh, but I'm so spiritual, pastor. I'm ready, I'm ready. If not, not, not if you're not involved in anyone else's life, you're not. That's the sign of that you're actually ready for Christ to come back. When he comes back, you'll be like, yes, he's coming. If you're not in that place, you'll be like, oh, he's coming back. A little fearful. But what it's truly teaching us is that if we're ready for Christ's return, we're passionately and purposefully being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Through the one another's. And getting a hold of this isn't just gonna like spur on your own spiritual growth and your own spiritual dynamic relationship with God. It's also gonna help you leave an impact on the world around you for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is a concept we have to get. It's not like, oh, this is a good suggestion. We have to get this if we're gonna live out our calling with the, all the, and experience all the joy that God has promised us. So to get into this verse, I just want to help you understand what it means to serve one another this morning. Here's the first thing you can write in your notes. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. If you're new with us, you probably picked up on the fact that I speak quickly. If you're not new with us, you've gathered that already. And so why do I encourage you to take notes? You can go back and look over some of these things and study some of these things. They go from your heads to your hearts. Even so you don't, don't, don't take my word for it, I want, I want you to take God's word for it. And to test what I'm saying against Scripture. Here's the first thing you can write in your notes. I think about stepping up your serve game. God has commissioned me. God has commissioned me to service. God has commissioned me to be a servant of his in this life and in this world. How do I ultimately know whether I truly love God? Some people say it. Oh, I love God. I love God. I love God. How do I ultimately know? It comes down to this. You Serving God and serving others is how we ultimately know. I get it. This message already is a little bit like, it probably causes a little bit of angst. It's, it's, it's so counterintuitive. It's counter to our thought process the way we've always grown up. Our, our own desires want what? We want to be served, not to serve, right? In us, in our sinful nature, we want. From the time we were little kids in school, they all, you know, be all that you can be. And it almost teaches us, like, hey, hey, the world's supposed to revolve around you. You just worry about being you, and everyone else is going to revolve around that. And the Bible flips that upside down on its head, and it teaches us, actually, you know what? It's not about you at all. If we're, if we're understanding the world properly, the, to get the, understand the universe and the proper equilibrium of what God designed, it's this. It's just like the earth orbits around the sun. And everything orbits around the sun, so we as believers and we as people orbit around God's son, Jesus Christ. And so I've often heard taught this way, that you, know, you orbit around Jesus Christ, that's all you need is to orbit around Jesus Christ. I, that is absolutely true, but there's another element to this. I think if we orbit around Jesus Christ, we realize that we're actually like another, there's another orbit in between us and Christ. It's not just like God, then us orbiting around God. It's like God, and then others comes in, and then we come in. We're like a couple orbits away from Christ to truly understand the fullness of what God designed us for. So to grab a hold of this, I think will be life-changing for all of us, even if you've heard this before, because it's so easy to forget this. Here's what it means to serve one another. The whole crux of verse 10 is that word, to serve, to serve. 
This brings meaning to everything we do, and it defines us as followers of Jesus. What does it mean to serve? If you look at the original languages, the word to serve occurs often in the New Testament. All over the place, New Testament, to serve. and They're so close in meaning. Some of these words, it's hard to differentiate. Sometimes to serve means to serve like a slave, to be subservient to another like a slave. That's not what this is talking about. Sometimes it means to, to serve one another like an employer would, employee would serve an employer. I'm going to serve you, but at the end of my day, I expect my paycheck. I earned it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a benevolent serve. I serve you because I love God and I love you expecting nothing in return. So the core of this word, the meaning is this, to wait at a table, to provide care for or attend to someone, to minister to another person. When you think of serve, the image that I get in my head is is a waiter or a waitress. I'm going to serve. But even that, it's really even hard to like define this in the way we think in North America because even that's really not the essence of this. Because what does a server at a restaurant expect when they're done serving? What do they expect? Right? A tip. If you give anything less than 10%, they give you the, the evil look and they're out of there, right? Now, even when you think of serving, I think of the, you know, in the airport, there's that big throne that they have there at the shoe shiner. Why they need to have to put the guy up on a throne, I don't know, but... You know, the, the, the shoe shiner? And they, you sit up way up on the throne, the shoe shiner, and yeah, what does he deserve? What does he want at the end of that shining your shoes? It's not just because he wants to shine your shoes. What's he want? Paycheck and a tip. And yet this goes beyond those kind of ideas of service. And I think right away we're like, ah, oh, that just messes with me. Like, how many of you guys woke up as a kid and like, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a servant. Didn't think there was any hands up. Mine neither. But here's what God does for us in his word. He redefines some of these words for us to help us see that being a servant isn't like a bondage thing. It's not like a steal your life thing. It's actually a freedom thing. And it's actually a give you life thing where your joy and your hope and your whole fullness is found. And it's radical. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. But this is how God has designed you to function. The only time in society serving others is of value when it's you're a public servant, right? You're a public servant. Well, I'm the mayor. I'm a public servant. But even that, like, it's about me. Or he's the police chief. He's a good public servant. Like, I'm a servant. It's about me. Or when I'm going to go serve my country. And so I'm serving my country. Quick, get the ribbons out and the medals. Put them on my shirt. I want everyone to know that I'm a servant. That's not it. And yet God has called us to this and he tells us in his word that his best plan for your life is to not be served, but to serve. God didn't save us to sit around. He didn't save us that we could glory in ourselves and self-glory. He saved us that we could show his love to others by serving others, difference makers in this world. People who get the fullness of, of life in this world understand this concept and they've determined in their hearts that they're going to do all that they can to figure out how God's wired them. And they're going to invest in not using their gifts and abilities to build themselves up, but they're going to build up the church and build others up as a ministry. And just in case you think this is an option, look at what it says here. And let's get to the, the meat of verse 10. All revolves around serving, but here it is. As each has received a gift... 
stop there, as each has received a gift. So God doesn't just say, hey, I want you to serve. You know what he's also done? He's equipped you with everything you need to accomplish this task. Don't you love that about God? He doesn't just say, well, this is what I want you to do and be, and then like, you're on your own, figure it out. He's like, he's actually equipped us with everything that we need to accomplish this whole idea of service. When you got, we're welcomed into the family of God, you know how the welcome wagon comes to our homes where we're welcomed to the community? When you are welcomed in the family of God, you get this welcome to God's family basket, and in it is all kinds of spiritual blessings and all kinds of awesome realities that you now have in Jesus Christ you never had before. One of those things in that basket is a spiritual gift, a divine ability to minister to the body of Christ predominantly, but also to others, that you are to exercise for the glory of God. So in every basket, there's all these gifts. We love the gifts, right? All these, oh, blessing, blessing, blessing. Ooh, a spiritual gift. That might make me uncomfortable. Let's put it over here on the shelf. And let's enjoy all the other things. And yet the spiritual gift isn't one that, you know, a Christmas present where like, you're unwrapping, like, I got a Christmas present. Hands off, brothers and sisters, it's mine. Right? It's my box of chocolates and I'm going to eat them all before lunch so no one else gets some. This spiritual gift is actually one that you're supposed to be like, you're unwrapping, you're like, hey, this is for everybody else. It's only profitable, it's for everybody else. Let me, let me hold it out and share it and use it in, in your life. And so God's ordained us with spiritual gifts. There's a whole slew of passages in the New Testament talk about spiritual gifts. It's not just a one-time, well, here's a gift. It actually lays it out for us in, in a few places. In Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, there's, there's all kinds of gifts that God gives beyond our physical abilities and our natural talents. There's a spiritual enablement that God has given to you that you are now to use in the body of Christ for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of believers. And I encourage you to take those passages and go and study them. We'll put some, um, a sl- uh, put some online so you can see them. There's a slide that got messed up here in the process of translation. But we'll put them up so you can actually know what they are and study them. We even offer courses to help you understand what your gift is so that you can use it. Because to neglect your gift is to neglect your, your purpose for being here on earth. You have to understand that. I'm not telling you this because I'm a pastor who wants our church to have all you serving so we can benefit me. No, I want it to benefit you as well. So you can live out your calling in Christ. Because look, he gave gave us a gift. There's not one person in here that's a Christian that doesn't have a gift. You can't sit here and be like, "Mm -hmm, didn't get a gift. Everyone else got one, I didn't. Untrue, every Christian has a gift. What's the gift for? Look at the next two words. Each has received a gift. What's the next two words? You say it. I'll say it first and you say it after me. I I want you to participate in this. What does God want you to do with your gifts? He wants you to use it. Go ahead. He wants me to use it. He wants you to use it. In other words, I think sometimes we think gifts are like the, the latest fad. Oh, I want a gift. I want a gift. I want a gift. You get it? You're like, mmm. doesn't really function the way I thought it would. It's all it's cracked up to be. So you set it aside. And you're like, I'll be a Christian, but I don't want to. Uh, God wants you to use it. Notice this, though, when God says to use it, he doesn't just say, hey, come on now, buck up and use it. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 tells us he gives us all the faith we need to actually put it into practice. So we accept Jesus, he gives us a gift, and he gives us faith to actually exercise it. So it's really, he's given us everything we need to use it to serve one another. 
We understand what serve means, to wait upon, to attend to, to minister to one another. Your life exists not just for you and your family, not just to build your own kingdom, but for other people. How are we supposed to do that? Look at the next little part of this. As good stewards of God's varied grace. As good stewards. Here's a biblical concept that is true throughout Scripture. It's a concept called stewardship. In other words, everything we have is on loan to us by God to manage for the glory of God. In the Bible, a steward would be one who would be entrusted with management of a property or land or funds or supplies or resources that were never theirs to begin with. It was somebody else that said, hey, can you manage this for me? This is what God has done with our lives. He's given us our lives Not for us to decide what we want to do with them, but to steward, including our gifts and our talents and our abilities, for him and for his glory. And just like every manager that manages a property, they're they're accountable, right? You are entrusted with the property to manage, and the owner comes along. You've been mismanaging that. There's problems. You've been managing that well, and you get rewarded. It's the same with God. This whole idea of stewardship means that there's an accountability for this gift. There's an accountability to hearing this message and not putting into practice or putting into practice. That when Jesus comes back, he's going to first question, do you know me? That's the most important question. Then he's going to ask, how did you live your life? And one of the questions in that survey is going to be, did you use your gifts to serve others? Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 19 tell us in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas that, that when that happens, it's going to be a day of reckoning for us. And Jesus is going to come back, and if, if you've been squandering your talents and your abilities in your life, because that's a gift, your life, basically all the rewards that you had stored up, he's going to be like, oh, I'll take those rewards. You really don't deserve those things. You're going to give them to somebody else who is faithful. You're like, well, that's not fair, but just. On the other side of things, if you've been faithful and you've been stewarding all the things you have well, and you're like, God, I've given my whole life for this. I was trying to... My, not perfect. I was trying to live for me. I was trying to live for you and for others. He sees that and he's like, you've managed. Well, he, he actually, that gift that he, that the reward he took from someone else, he actually gives it to you. So your reward is multiplied by three or five or ten. It's actually a sweet reality for believers. I tell you that because that's all part of what this means. Verse 10, I think we can easily just read it over quickly. Like, oh yeah, I get that. We're supposed to serve each other. This is what God is saying to us, that we're supposed to be good stewards of God's varied grace. What does varied grace mean? He means he gives gifts according to what he desires, not what we desire. This gift thing isn't about like, oh, I didn't like mine. I want to pray for a better one. You don't get that option. It's like you've given, you've given your gift, unwrap it, embrace it, and share it. Every one of us, every one of us has different gift. Thank the Lord. Every one of us has a gift that's varied because God needs every one of us in his body to participate, not not to try and be somebody else, but to be who we are with our gifts so that we can function properly for the kingdom of God. There's not one gift that's more important than another in the kingdom of God. Contrary to maybe popular opinion. So steward this according to God's very grace. How do you steward it? You steward it with all your heart for God. If you're speaking, as one who speaks oracles of God, if you're serving by the strength of God, look at this. God gives you power to even, he gives you faith, he gives you power to exercise that in everything God might be glorified in Jesus Christ. I tell you, I wish I would have understood this concept far earlier in life. 
I wish someone would have told me straight far earlier in life. Instead of kind of, the way I grew up, I was like, oh, you know, you should serve one another. And if you have time, serve one another. No, it's not. It's where our life is found in serving others. Remember, I learned this concept a little bit uh, growing up. My parents always teach me. I really learned it in college. And I went to a, a call, Bible college seminary. And uh, every February, there'd be this great big event called Youthquake. And at Youthquake, uh, like 3,000, I can't remember the exact number, 3,000 high school students would, would swarm our campus, these hyper-energized, obnoxious, annoying high school students for a youth conference. And so our president would tell us, Everybody is in, everyone's required to serve in some capacity. And we'd all be grumbling, oh boy, here we go, Youthquake, you know, we've got to serve, we've got to serve. And so being kind of outgoing, I thought, you know what, I'll serve in the greeting crew, which is called the Here For You crew. Because that way you get to, well, what our job was is all these teenagers who've been like on a bus for some 30 hours, all hyped up on sugar, they'd get off. We were supposed to greet them, get them to the registration, and get them all with all their stuff to their dorm and help them. And then we'd walk around all weekend with this Here For You crew t-shirts on. And quite honestly, we'd grumble all the way up to it. It was like, oh, what a crummy weekend. We got, you know what I mean? But yet in the weekend came, it was, it was one of the most satisfying weekends of, of the whole year, just being able to serve others and get to know so many people. It was energizing and exciting. But you know what happened? As soon as that weekend would be over, we're like, whew, God, I don't got to have the Here For You shirt on anymore in the corner, right? Back to normal. And yet, here's what I didn't realize God was calling me to back then. He was calling me to a lifetime as a pastor. We're not here for our own glory. We're not here to like elevate ourselves. You know what our job as a pastor is? We're called to like a lifetime of wearing a here for you t-shirt. Here, here for you t-shirt. Here for you crew t-shirt. And I think that's how we think as Christians, though. We think, well, I'm gonna serve for this little part of my life, or I'm gonna serve in this. But we fail to realize that God is, when he calls them to stand, part of that welcome basket is a here for you, t- here for you crew t-shirt that we're supposed to be wearing every day of our lives. For your joy and for his glory. Such a simple concept, isn't it? I get it up here. My mom used to teach me this when I was a kid. All right, son, what are you supposed to do now? Love one another. Serve one another. I get it. I can say it. Why is it so hard for us to actually get it and apply it and live it? You ever wondered that? Like, I'm no saint in this either, I have to be honest. Like, I, I, I try to be honest with you guys. Like, like I find myself sometimes when it comes to serving so like self-centered and what is wrong with me? And I have this battle in my heart every time it comes to serve, like, like will I humble myself or will I actually follow Jesus and serve? And so I've identified some things in my own heart that I've battled over the years that probably you battle too as you sit here today. And so let's just think about this. Why, why, what holds me back from actually living this out consistently? Because can you imagine if every Christian and every church lived this out? Can you imagine how different we would be, our homes would be, our communities would be, our church would be? What keeps us, keeps us back from that? Here's some things I think I've identified. Some serving snags, some things that hold us up from actually taking this and applying it Monday to Saturday. What about this one? Arrogance. This comes back to our old stinking pride, doesn't it? Oh, I'll serve all right, but I'm way above serving in that capacity. I'll serve up here when I want, how I want, because I am the king. You know what I mean? I want status. Someone else can serve. What about this one, indifference? I know what God says, but I got a better plan for my life than that guy does. 
Maybe one time I used to like serving, but I kind of gotten stale, kind of you know, spiritually complacent. And honestly, I'm just trying to get into heaven at this point, and everything else I just want to live for me on earth. But honestly, if you have that mentality, you might miss out on both. The indifference, you just forget the blessings, the rewards, but also the consequences of, of choosing to ignore God. What about this one? It's sort of the same, along the same line, but self-absorbed. It's not that I just want status. I just want comfort. I want ease. All I can think about is me, and i got enough to worry about with me. You really want me to worry about somebody else? What if it cramps my style? What if it takes me out of my comfort zone? Thinking about numero uno far too much. Thinking about moi far too often. What about this one, the inferiority complex? There's a lot of people that have this too. Like you tell you about serving, and you're like, ah, oh, I know, but I just don't have any gifts and abilities. Everyone, look at, look at them. They're so awesome. You've forgotten the fact that God has created you exactly how he wants you. He, he's fashioned you and formed you. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day when he created human beings, he said, what? It's very good. And you are very good. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you've you got to stop listening to the lies of Satan, which he's good at putting lies in our heads. And we've got to start listening to the truth of God. God desires to use you for his purposes. What about this one? You're overloaded. I know I should be serving others, but there's just so much going on in my life, for real. Have we forgotten that serving others isn't just at church on Sunday morning? It's everything we do and everywhere we go. It's a mindset. It's a heart attitude. Let me ask you this. If you're too busy to serve and exercise your gift, don't you think that maybe it's time to reorganize your priorities so that you can actually be on God's agenda for your life? And put some of those good things aside for the best thing and the right thing? evaluating my own heart all week and I see some of those each of those in me and so what does God want us to do with those he wants us to repent of those and ask God to forgive us of those attitudes I'm sure there's people in this room that have the same attitudes that crop up in my heart it's not like oh snicker snicker that's me too it's like oh God please forgive me I want the fullness of life I want my life to matter for you and others because when Jesus comes back the excuses aren't going to fly that's why he's, he's giving us this now to warn us. He, he, I know, Lord, but. But what? Gave you opportunity after opportunity. Such as, such as here it says, this is what Galatians 5.13 says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. We're supposed to serve one another in love. Realizing that Jesus didn't just call us to this. Jesus actually lived this same reality out in his life. To grab a hold of this isn't just a good idea. Here's what it is. To adopt a servant lifestyle is to live like Jesus Christ. Who do we want to emulate? Who do we want to be changed into the image of? It is Jesus. To adopt this mentality and this lifestyle is actually to follow in the footsteps of your Savior. Yes, it screams against culture, doesn't it? But re Jesus redefines what it is to really live. He redefines what it is to truly be great and to truly make your life count. And in a culture of 
preoccupation with climbing ladders and success and titles and maximizing personal potential to be all that I can be. Jesus turns it upside down. Being great is not pomp and power and prestige, brothers and sisters. That's not greatness in God's eyes. The world might look at you like, oh, look at them. They're all that. They got pomp. They got power. They got prestige. God looks at that and he's like, Ugh. It's not it. Jesus taught this lesson. Don't, some of you are like, well, I know Paul said that, but what did Jesus say? You know, some of you red letter Christians, which isn't biblical, just so you know. Let me tell you what Jesus said, because Jesus talked this talk. He talked servanthood all the time. He talked the talk. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 22. His disciples are having this big debate over who is the greatest. Well, who do you think is greatest? I think I'm greatest, but I don't want to say it because I've come across proud. Who do you think is greatest? Who do you think is greatest? Jesus, who do you think is greatest? Obviously, they thought like we do in our culture, right? They thought of all the things that we think about. And Jesus used this illustration. He goes... He says to them, hey, who do you think is greater? Gives them a, a, a um, context. The person reclining at the table or the person serving them? Who do you think is more important? Who do you think you ought to strive to be? The person reclining at the table or the person serving them? Knowing what they would say, because sometimes Jesus asked rhetorical questions and would give the answer before they could answer back because he didn't want to make them look silly. You know, in class, you're like, I know the answer. I don't want to put my hand up. And you're like, teacher gives it to you. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't put my hand up. That was way wrong. That's what's happening here. So Jesus says, actually, he just says this. He goes, I just want you to know this in, in Luke 22. I am the one who is like the servant. Before you answer, before you get the answer wrong and embarrass yourself, I just want you to know this. I am like the servant. Jesus institutes a whole new pattern of human relationships. He rearranges perspectives on what's important and who's important and what it actually means to make a difference in this world. He says it again in Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. In a different way, probably the disciples still arguing and bickering about this stuff. They still hadn't, didn't get it. Jesus called them to him and said this. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you would be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. What did he come for? He's the king of all kings. He's the God of all gods. He has all the qualities of God, all the attributes of God, all the characteristics of God because he is God. And yet do you realize that he taught this lesson to us because the moment he took a step out of heaven and took his first breath on earth, his whole mission and coming was what? To serve us and save us from our sin and make it a way for a relationship with God. His whole purpose in being was not to be served, but to serve us that we might then in turn be able, even capable of serving God and others. The king, righteous and holy and just, all powerful, control over demons and the elements and diseases, came to serve. 
so backwards. Like, no, Jesus didn't come to serve me. I'm supposed to serve him. But look, look what it says, it says right in the Bible. I came to, not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus taught this lesson often. But he just didn't teach the lesson. He actually walked the walk. He just didn't talk the talk. He walked the walk. How did this play out in his life? Well, how did Jesus ultimately serve us? The cross. He didn't just serve us when it was comfortable, convenient, do some nice good deeds. Like he gave his all. He, he allowed his life to pay the penalty for my sin. He, he allowed his life to be bludgeoned with nails and, and all the things we talked about at Easter. He, he, he served us through the cross. Philippians 2.7. He made himself nothing. God made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. And because he did that, we had the ability to serve God and him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Teaching us what it is to serve by his talk, but also by his life. Warren Wiersbe says this in relation to Jesus serving us. Many people are willing to serve others if it does not cost them anything. But if there's a price to pay, they suddenly lose interest. Jesus became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Easter is Jesus serving us. You know another example of Jesus serving us? is found in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. Again, a story many of us know. The disciples just couldn't seem to grasp this whole, just like us, we're just like them, so don't feel bad. They couldn't seem to grasp this whole servanthood thing. And so Jesus, right at the cycle where he's about to like lose his life, this is kind of the end of his life in John chapter 13. He's starting to like leave some last words to his disciples. Like, hey, if you don't get anything, get this. There's some things I want you to get. He's walking with his disciples, and back in Jerusalem, they walked everywhere they went with sandals on, dusty, dirty, dry. You know what that does to your feet, right? Gross is one way to say it. That's a picture of the feet maybe the disciples would have had. And so he's, he's meeting them in this, this meeting place, this room. And, and what the tradition back in, in that time was the, the host would arrange for a basin of water that a servant or a slave, not a Jewish person, because that was way below them, would come and wash their feet. Disciples all get to this room and there's no servant or slave to that. So here's what Jesus does to help them get this. They're like, hey, you're not getting the words. Let me do a show and tell lesson. Think of the power of this, Jesus the king of all kings gets the basin of water. He walks over and he washes every single disciple's feet, including Judas, the one who would betray him. Talk about loving your enemies. Remember Peter? He's like, you'll never do this to me, Lord. Jesus is like, Peter, sit down and shut up and stick your feet up. You know who's teaching them? Ultimately, he was teaching them, hey, it's going to be my death that's going to wash away your sins. That's the ultimate lesson there. It's going to be my death in a few days that's going to wash away all of your sins. But he also teaches this practical lesson. We know it's not just about that. Because John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15 say this. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And Jesus calls us to some pretty radical acts of serve one another. And I don't know about you, but like dirty feet is to me it's just it's just gross. 
my kids come in from the beach or from the outside and they have dirty feet and I'm just like, ugh. Like, you wash your own dirty stinkers. Here's the soap. Here's the, t-, you know. And here's what Jesus is calling us to as believers. Here's what he empowers us to do, to use our gifts to serve others. Quite honestly, I taught this a lot and, and I understood the concept. I don't think I really got it until about, you know, second year into being a youth pastor in Tilsonburg. And uh, one of my job descriptions, my job description there was to run a, a day camp for everybody. Now for kids, for, the, for our church and for our community kids. And so it was a pretty big day camp, and we had all kinds of volunteers. We encouraged like, almost everyone in the church to be a part of it. And so we'd be recruiting for weeks, and we had like 9 to 5 all set out. Morning was like a VBS-style, afternoon activities, and it was like a highlight of the summer for our kids. And uh, people come out of the woodwork from our church to serve in that, in that VBS. One of the women that came out to serve was, I'm going to try to say this nicely, but also give you an, an actual picture of what she was like. And I'm, not, I'm really not exaggerating uh, when I say this. She was probably one of the most unkept women uh, that I think I've ever met in my life. They weren't of well means, and they didn't have any kind of personal hygiene. She was matted hair, and her teeth were half there and half crooked, and, and she didn't dress well. She didn't smell that nice. And even to look at her, she was one of the least of these, let's say that. And, you know, it's church Sunday. She'd be in the second row, and her husband would be, like, head back, sleeping all service because he wasn't, uh, he was just like her. And so she came, she wanted to serve. I'm like, I don't know where to put this woman to serve, to be honest. And so why don't you help out in the Bible story room and, and help out with, the, the, you know, the lessons. And so she's a helper in the Bible story room. And uh, last lesson of the week was John 13, washing the disciples' feet. And so the plan was is that we'd have a basin of water there. The teacher would ask one of the kids to come up. And one of the kids would, you know, volunteer. And another kid would come and, like, get their feet wet and dry it off and give a little, nice little example of what it was like. So I kind of milled around to supervise the whole thing. And I got to the door of this room right at the, the last uh, the last day, the last one was happening. I was there right in time for the bowl, the washing ceremony. I remember standing at the door, and I watched the, the teacher go, okay, now who wants to have their feet washed? And from the back corner, out of nowhere, I do! Edith. And I was like, oh, no! Like, this is going completely backwards! And I was like, do I step in? What do I do? And so Edith, like, before I knew, she, she marched right down the middle. And all the kids and sisters, she marched right down the middle. She sat on the chair. She took her big size 12 sandals. She actually had sandals on, like those T-Bus. Took the great big size 12 sandals off and revealed her feet, which almost made me vomit in my mouth. I'm, it was like a... And I was like, do I jump in and wash them so the kids don't have to? But as I'm processing all this, one of the little kids in front was like, I'll do it! And I was like, oh my goodness. So the kid got up and Again, we think you just get the feet wet and nasty toenails and they weren't capped. And this kid like proceeded to wash this woman's feet and she had this big old smile on her face and she had the very first pedicure of her life. And then what happened next was even astounding because that one kid did, every other kid was like, I want to do it too. Every kid in the class washed Edith's feet that morning. Cleanest foot she ever had in her life Maybe. I remember standing back just dumbfounded by this whole thing and like my lump of my throat from my vomit turned a lump of my throat from like I wanted to cry. And I was like, oh my goodness, Mr. Spiritual Pastor here, you know, I am being taught John 13 from a bunch of like first and second and third and fourth grade kids. I remember looking around the room and after that was all over, every leader walked out going like, Wow. That came off way better than you planned, Pastor. Yes, it did. That's what it means 
to serve one another. Serving one another because we love Jesus, because we've been served by Jesus. Serving one another means that we're going to go into uncomfortable situations. I'm not asking you to wash my feet. Please stay away from my feet. I'll stay away from yours. But it means that we're going to be willing to go into uncomfortable situations and, and do the unthinkable things and minister to the unministerable, if that's a word. Because Jesus Christ has made such a profound difference in my life and because I don't want to waste my life, I don't want to miss my life, this is where it happens in serving one another. If Jesus did it, and he's calling us to do so at the same time. Here's what John Wesley says. Well, this whole idea of serving one another. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. Let that sink in for a second. We're not just deciding whether we're going to serve other people. We're actually deciding, am I really going to serve Jesus or not? If Jesus were here, he'd have a hat that would say, make serving great again. Who cares about America? because it's so lost in our culture. And we try and tiptoe around it and make it say something it's not so uncomfortable. That's, Jesus would say, let's make truly serving great again. This is the gospel. It's living out the reality of Jesus in me, empowered by Christ, for Christ, for others, that might make a difference, that might make a difference in the world. So our joy is found in being a servant. I think I said it before, but let me say it again. Can you imagine how your life would be different if you actually took this home and actually tried to apply it this week? Can you imagine how your homes would be different? Can you imagine how our, our church would be different? Can you imagine how your community would be different? Let's start with a home because, you know, this, the, the spiritual gift is within the body of believers, that's for sure, but it's exercised at home as well, right? You know, we teach our kids the gospel. We try and teach them all the stories and, and all the right ways to live. Have you ever thought about this lately? What about ex- giving them an example of what to live by? by applying, loving, and serving one another. Husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially, unconditionally serving the church, didn't he? We're called to love our wives in the same way. We're not coming home and like, okay, honey, what's for dinner? Oh, you had a bad day. What do you hear about my day at the office? Actually, like, to serve, like, how, honestly, like, this is speaking to me too, just so you know. I'm not calling you out. I'm like calling me out. I need to grow in this and apply this. Can you imagine how it would all be if like, if husbands, you served, like truly, truly, truly served your wife? Wives, can you imagine how it would be if you actually served your husbands? And, and, and I know it's, it, it, we're called, you're called to be helpmates. We get that. But, but you know, when it comes home from work, it's like, hey, kid's got a diaper and I've been cleaning. Can you, but like, hey, how, how can I serve you? Families, can you imagine what it would be like to like, try and think about how you can serve each other every day instead of like, it's not my fault, it's not my job, it's unfair. A little illustration from our house this week. Can you imagine, kids, if you like, actually picked up the laundry basket on the way up the stairs on the way out, on the way out instead of jumping over it seven times? Can you imagine what it would be like to serve others? Be actually living out the gospel. 
Can you imagine what we'd like at our church? Can you imagine what we like at our church if everyone came with the, the mindset that, I, I, yeah, we're here to give you. We want to feed you for sure. We want to care for you. But can you imagine if we came in with the mindset of, I just don't want to come and get this week. I, I do want to get for sure. We're trying to give you worship opportunities and give you the word. But I also want to give back a little bit. Can you imagine how our church would be like? We wouldn't be looking for volunteers at all. We'd all be like, yes, I've got a gift. I want to use it for the glory of God. Where, where? Here's the church mentality today in North America. Like, I'm going to come and I'm going to consume and consume and consume. And the moment you ask me to do anything, I'm outie. I'm out of there. What happens to us physically if we consume and consume and consume and consume and don't exercise? We gain weight and we become unhealthy and we eventually what? Die a few years earlier than we probably should. Spiritual is the same thing. If we just consume and consume and consume, we become spiritual fat cats. We become obese and our... Our spiritual lives are stifled. We end up shriveling up and dying on the inside. And God's called us to come together, and part of coming together is to serve each other. That's part of being a part of the body. It's to serve each other. Can you imagine if only half of your body, half of your body actually functioned? That would not be fun or healthy or profitable for anybody. God's designed us in a way that we're all supposed to function well as the body of Christ, playing out our roles that God has enabled us to play. It's not, it's not even that difficult, to be honest. We've tried to make it as simple as possible, maybe even too simple in our church, to help you actually live out the serving one another in this place. So think about this, parents, those of you who uh, drop your kids off uh, every week and are so thankful for that extra hour, you can come and sit in here and how about you, ever thought of this, that maybe you could return the same favor for all those families that are actually up there looking after your kids right now and teaching your kids that you would actually, once a month, just once a month, commit to like, since you do that for me like three other weeks of the, of the month, I will do that for you once a month. What an impact on your life and theirs. You know, we love the setup and the setup's so great and we get to worship with all the, the, the banners and the cross and all the equipment and and. That happens at 7 a.m. On, on Sunday mornings, and once a month we have crews that come in, again, they commit to once a month coming in and serving, and, and they get tired, they get weak, and can you imagine if you would just be like, hey, you know what, I want to also like serve others instead of being served every week, I also want to serve others, it'll actually be kind of fun. Get to know people and actually do something for the Lord, it'd be satisfying and fulfilling. So many opportunities in our church. If you're here, you're here on purpose by God to serve that we can be the kingdom of God together in this community for, for Jesus' glory. I know all of you aren't in that place. There's some of you that are serving so faithfully, serving so faithfully, and, and you're already on that schedule a couple times, and you're diligent. And let me encourage you, just don't get tired of serving the Lord. It's easy to get into the negative mindset. Just keep going for the glory of God. It's worth it. You are making an eternal difference. You are knowing the fullness of Christ. Keep going, keep going for Jesus. If we all got on that page, I could just imagine the gospel exploding in this region for the glory of God. Not to build our kingdom. Who cares about our kingdom? We're going to be dead soon enough. But God's kingdom, which is eternal. Home, church, what about in the community? What about in the community? If you look for opportunities to serve the community around you, your neighbors. When was the last time you drove down your street thinking, how could I actually serve my neighbors? Instead of driving around the blue bin that's blown over and everything's all over the street, happens on your street too, I'm going to stop and pick it up and put it back in front of their house for them. You know, I'm going to shovel their driveway because I know they're not healthy. 
and strong. So I'm going to serve them by little things. How can I serve my neighbors? You know, people will think, like, what in the world is going on with you? And, you know, they're going to start asking, why are you doing this? And, you know, that is a great opportunity to share Christ. I'm doing this because of Christ in me. As we were away on sabbatical, I made a deal with one of my neighbors. Um, didn't really calculate how big his driveway was. But I'm like, hey, Bart, if you'd shovel my driveway for January, I'll do yours for February. Who do you think won that deal? <laughs> and so came back in February, and I'm all excited. Like, you know, like Bart did our driveway three times or four times, I think was a report. And I'm like, I can surf him. I did his driveway three times the first day. And then guess what came out? My lack of servant heart. I grumbled all three times that one day. And then lo and behold, the people across the street, they, they're older, they got sick, and they couldn't shovel their driveway. And so what did I do in February my sabbatical? Everyone was asking, you know what I did? I shoveled driveways all February. And so I'm like, Zach, I made a deal with Bart when I shoveled driveways. I was like, I know, stinks for you, eh, Dad? Well, it stinks for you too, son. Come on. <laughs> and so we do our driveway and across the street and Bart's, and we all three times in a day. And quite honestly, I didn't pass the servant test very well. Because I did it with the grumbling that it's talking about in that passage. And even God still uses that for opportunities to share Christ with those around us. Serving. Serving. It's so simple. But you know what? Grabbing a hold of this will change your own spiritual dynamic with God. It's going to catapult you to new places in your relationship with God. You know what else it's going to do? Impact the world around you. That when you're long gone, your life will have made a difference. There's got to be more, Pastor. There is. We miss it in North America. It's serving one another. How do I make a difference, Pastor? Simple. Love God. Love one another by making your determined effort to make your life one of service. As a mindset, let's get our minds around that and ingrain that in our brains. As a lifestyle, let's embrace that as a church and see what God does. Let me pray. Father, thank you for allowing us the word of God which speaks so clearly to us and allows us, Lord, to know your full plan for our lives. I pray this this morning, God, you'd help every person in this place get aligned with your will for their lives. It's not for me, Lord. It's for your glory and for their joy and their hope and their purpose. And God, I pray today that you'd speak this message into each of our hearts. For those that are here today, God, that are serving, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. Help them see greater ways to use their life for you. For those that aren't, oh Lord, I pray that you'd let this message sink deep into their minds and hearts, God. I pray for that group of people specifically. God, I pray that they wouldn't waste their lives on themselves. So empty, so void. But instead, oh God, I pray that they'd humble themselves and truly see Jesus for who he is. Allow Jesus' life to grow in them. And allow Jesus to empower them to a faith and a life of action in serving others. Help us all, Lord, simply this. Help us all be more like Jesus. We need more of Jesus in our lives this day. Amen.